Thank you for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. There is no room for softness, not in Sparta, no place for weakness. Only the hard and the strong may call themselves Spartans. Only the hard, only the strong. The words of Dilios, narrator of the film 300, adapted from Frank Miller's comic book about the Battle of Thermopylae. And those words, of course, apply to one of the rest is history's presenters. But, <laughs> but which? <laughs> today, which indeed? Today we will discover which of us is the hardened <laughs> Spartan and which the metropolitan Athenian fop. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to tell. <laughs> so, Tom... I know you know loads about Sparta. Let me be completely frank. I know nothing about Sparta at all. But you've just you've just been there, right? Yes. Uh, so you've just come back from the Peloponnese. I have. Which is That's right. The fork bit that is attached to the mainland of Greece. Right. The bottom bit of you Greece. You can imagine the map. Yeah. The, bo- the bottom. Sparta is kind of above the bottom. So there are three forks. The one furthest right. That's right. It sort that. of commands the the plain of Laconia, and uh, the Rotus Valley. We passed through it so we were in a place called Monemvasia which is on the coast which is a Byzantine city for a time and then we were driving to a place that I'm sure you know called Mistras which is another Byzantine city up in the mountains the Tigetos mountains I think they're called and sort of Sparta is just below Mistras the modern Sparta Um, I I have to say it didn't delay us very long because basically it is very modern now you I'm going to shame you well, not shame you, because you will be... I, I know you have no shame. Uh, I do you, shame, you, you, Dominic. I do. You, um, you, you gave me a recommendation while I was away. You said there was some temple where people competed for cheese. Is that right? Yes. Um, temple of Artemis Orthia. That's right. You said it's a chilling site, and, and we should absolutely go and see it. So I, I raised this with my family, and there was a general sort of murmur of discontent as people, as people said, is it just a load of old stones in a field? Um, we know what Tom Holland likes. And then uh, I Googled it, and the first thing that came up when I Googled it was just said, a well-known haunt for local homeless and drug addicts. Yeah, and so, well. my, so my wife said, that's where Tom Holland is sending us. Absolutely no way. No way. So so we didn't so go. you didn't go? No, we didn't go. We went for lunch instead. And we had a massive, massive souvlaki on a skewer suspended above our table. Maybe if you, so rather, if you remind me, I'll, I'll tweet a picture of it. It's a brilliant picture of this enormous quantity of food very well, very I think satisfying the question about i think the question is is answered <laughs> one of us fearlessly goes out in the heat of day to look at a load of stones yeah. where there are drug addicts who might attack you yeah. and one of us sits in the comfort and sloth no. of a large i mean you know it's absolutely clear no, no no i was i was engaging with the local spartan citizenry um <laughs> and uh 
I, you were gorging your face. <laughs> I have to say, modern Sparta. Modern Sparta. You know, it's not the. It wouldn't be the first place in anybody's list, would it? I'm not knocking it, but it's 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 a little bit humdrum. It doesn't. It's great if you like tractor factories. Yeah, it doesn't speak of the romance of the ancient world. Uh, but then neither did neither did Sparta in antiquity. Right. Famously. Yeah. So famously, Thucydides, the Athenian, who writes up the Peloponnesian War, says of Sparta that that. He, he imagines that it's become deserted and that only the temples and the foundations of the buildings remain. He said that he thinks that people would no longer, you know, people simply wouldn't believe that the place had, had been as powerful as it really was. Yeah, I can. Because, I because, because, because Sparta, you know, basically it was an agglomeration of various villages. It famously didn't have a wall because it had its shield wall yeah um it, it you know it, it it didn't invest in the kind of things that the athenians invested yeah in. well we had been there you see we'd been there in assassin's creed odyssey um my son okay, and I, so how, how does it look in that uh, it looks great it does look a bit does collection it? of villages ish um so there's no wall it's very uh, these things are done they they were all done with in collaboration with archaeologists and stuff so i think it's reasonably well as accurate as it can be in a video game um but it bears no relation to the tractor factories and so the, the, the reason I suggested the, the Temple of Artemis Orthia yeah. is because um, that was that was a, a very old building, um, and it was covered in very sinister masks. So if you went to the museum, you might have seen some of them. Um, so there are kind of mar- you know images of of young men, but also images of hideous crones howling in pain. Wow, very very sinister. That sounds good. Uh, and it was out in the marshes, so it was surrounded by the croaking of frogs. Um, and there was a very kind of antique statue of Artemis, who is the the, the virgin huntress, the sister of Apollo, the the, the mistress of, of wild animals, and um, that's where they played the cheese game. Yeah, um, this is where people famous. compete for cheese, right? Young people and their... so there are piles of there are piles of cheese on a on a table, and there are men armed with whips. So this is a bit like and something from the Cotswold Olympics that we talked about. It recently. is very similar. Yes, very similar. And you have to brave the whips to get the cheese. And it's basically it's it's um it's a kind of coming of age ritual. Oh, so you you uh, you know success in the um in in the cheese game, then means, as a as a young Spartan man, that you have the chance to to join the Cryptea. We're going to come to that, Tom. Don't tell us what the Cryptea is because I want I'm to. I'm not allowed to talk about that. No, now. you have to talk about it. Have later. you worked out a structure? I have. For I have because I have nothing okay, to say. Right. I have I have been able to devote my time. I, the hours that I spend preparing for the rest is history. Um, I have, I have, I have put them into preparing a structure for you to to interrogate you about the history of Sparta. So it's all about you've, the, it, you've become Melvin Bragg. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think people have seen that coming for a while, haven't they? Um, <laughs> uh, the the That's terrifying. Yeah, we've You're got shouting at. We've me. got similarly luxuriant hair, as as is, yes, that's as is well known. That's true. Yes. Okay, so I tell you what we should do because I've given this so much thought. I think what we should do is for a couple of minutes, you should give just a complete sort of very broad brush overview of Sparta, of, of sort okay. of ancient Sparta. And then we'll get into these questions that I have so brilliantly prepared. Okay, before before I do that, I know we don't usually talk about historiography, okay. about how we know about things. But I think it's really, really important with Sparta before we get into, you know, the history of it and the kind of the weirdness of it. Basically, I have to flag up that... Um, historians who write about it talk about the Spartan mirage. Right. And, and they refer to it as a mirage in a way that they don't about other, other you know, they don't talk about 
Athens or, or Rome like that. And the reason is that um, we have very few sources written by Spartans. Yeah, Kieran so Roach have... asked this question. He says, are we all, are we just dealing with things that other people say about the Spartans rather than the things that they say about themselves? Basically, so we've got two poets, Tateus and Alcman from the seventh century. And then basically, aside from that, we have no Spartans. So there are, there are multiple kind of layers of mystery. So there is, um, there's, there's, there's what the Spartans actually did there's what the Spartans kind of said they did, or kind of claimed that they did. There's what other Greeks, other contemporaries said the Spartans did. And then there's the kind of what people since have said the Spartans did. Yeah. So there's just kind of, it's a constant echo chamber of, of weird reports and rumours. And the, the problem is, is that the origins of Sparta and everything that makes it distinctive is rooted in a period of Greek history called the Archaic, which is notoriously tricky to make sense of. Right. And um, Iris Murdoch, the great novelist, said of, of Archaic Greece that it's a game with, with very few pieces where the skill of the player lies in complicating the rules. Right. And that is absolutely the case with Sparta. So I just need to flag that yeah. up. It's a bit like dwarf flunking. Very similar it, to that. <laughs> well, yeah. I, it's actually not like dial flunking because dial flunking, you know, there's it's it. You can see footage of it. Yeah. Whereas can. this, we, it, it's difficult to get a handle on. So it's it's there's a lot of myth here. Okay. But the myth in itself is very powerful and is important. So, so I think that's fine. So let's come back to that in a second. But now, just give us a, yeah, okay. an overview. Who are the Spartans? What's the story? Why do they end? Okay. So. Sparta is it, it, it's it's girt on both sides by great mountain ranges. It's got the sea to the south. It's got kind of dark hills to the north. So it's very naturally well fortified. So it's it's ideally suited, basically, to be a military power. Yeah. Um, in, in in mythology, it's chiefly famous as the home of Helen, uh, who who marries Menelaus, the, the king of Sparta. At that generation, uh, after the Trojan War. It gets burnt. Uh, new people come. These are the people who claim to be the Spartans, supposedly. Um, Sparta in the eighth, seventh centuries for Greeks is an absolute model of how not to run a city. It's terrible. The rich persecute the poor. Everyone's kind of given over to all kinds of depravity. Um, they go to war with their neighbours over on, on the other side of Mount Tegetus, a place called Messenia, which is even a kind of richer agricultural land than Sparta is. The Spartans conquer it. This money then enhances the class differences. The whole city seems to be falling to pieces. They also need um, military manpower to keep the Messenians down. And so they institute a radical redrafting of their constitution, which basically transforms it into a kind of slave state uh, where all the Spartan citizens are conditioned and trained to fight as warriors. And this makes them the most formidable fighting force in Greece. Sparta is the largest city. It's the most proficient military power in Greece. As such, it is able basically to bring most of the Peloponnese under its under its rule. It plays a leading role in the Persian Wars, famous defense at, at Thermopylae. It wins the Battle of Plataea in 479, the year after Thermopylae, which sees the Persian invasion brought to an end. Um, the rising power of Athens brings it to conflict with Sparta. Sparta ends up winning that. Um, for, for a few years, it, it's 
kind of mastery of Greece is undisputed, but Greece being Greece, they're endlessly fighting with another. The whole thing implodes. Um, Thebes, a city that previously had been very, very marginal, very much looked down upon, rises to this incredible military peak and destroys Sparta in two famous battles. And from that point, and, and the, the, what the Thebans do is to divest the Spartans of Messenia, which up till then had basically provided them with their great power status. And once Messenia has gone, Sparta is immediately transformed into a kind of second-class power. From that point on, they, they obdurately cling to their independence, but they become more and more marginal, and they end up absorbed into the Roman Empire. And essentially, they become a kind of um, cosplay version <laughs> of their ancestors. Yeah. They, you know, they lay on kind of... Um, spectacular whipping demonstrations for the entertainment of visiting tourists and that kind of thing. Um, when uh, when the Roman Empire falls, Sparta gets uh, caught up in the um, the process of barbarian invasions. It gets sacked um, in the 6th century. Slavs invade. Sparta gets completely denuded. Um, people take to the mountains and the hills. And Mistress, which you, the Byzantine city that you referred to, yeah. um, basically it's made of the what remains of the... Um, of the urban fabric of Sparta. And no one lives in the Eurotas from that point up until the, the Greek War of Independence, when Sparta is is refounded, you know, in this kind of classicizing way that the Greeks have after they've won their independence. Um, and the myth is much greater than the reality of downtown Sparta today. Um, yes. But in a sense, yeah. that's always been the case. Uh, so how much has always been a vital complement to even at, at, at its absolute heyday when people came up against Sparta they were fighting the myth as well as the reality okay let's get back to Kieran Roach's question then so everything we're going to be talking about in the rest of this podcast how much is it do you think um as far as anyone can say about ancient history how much is it based on genuine genuine historical evidence and how much is it a projection as Kieran says of other people's prejudices and other people's kind of wish fulfillment in a way about the Spartans. The, so, so academic studies of Sparta are, are, are really tough <laughs> because it's all about fragments of pottery, right. fragments of source material, um, the sifting and the balancing of texts that might often be written kind of centuries apart. Um, so, so it is, it is a challenge. Um, and it's undoubtedly the case that a, an awful lot of what we know about Sparta, people who were consciously mythologizing it, yeah. whether yeah. because they admired it, which lots of people did, or whether because they hated it, which equally lots of people did. So it's, I think it's very difficult. But I think that um, I think it's entirely justified to kind of construct a uh, kind of sense of, of of what the society had been like because it's been so influential. It was massively influential on on the Greeks back in antiquity, and it's been hugely influential in the modern period as well. So oh. I, I think I think you can kind of you know for, you know this isn't a you know, this isn't a kind of a lecture for a degree course. Yeah, 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 it's not the Open University. We don't want to go down that it's road. Not. No, it's not. Um, and we're not even Melvin Bragg. I mean, no, no matter what some people no, we're here, may have we're said for the earlier in the podcast, we're, we're, as you said to me when we first discussed doing the podcast, it's all about the bants. It's um, all about when, the bants. When yeah. my wife heard those words, she said, don't do it. For God's sake, don't do it. <laughs> right. Anyway, let's move on. So um, why is Sparta Sparta, Tom? Is it about geography? Uh, why has it become this military machine? I, I, or is it less different 
from other Greek city-states than we commonly think? I think it's really different. Okay. Um, I, I mean, to begin with, it isn't different. So back in the Bronze Age, so a, a further confusion is that it has two names. It actually has loads of names. So it's also called Lacedaemon. Yeah. And like, it's, that's what it's originally called. We know that because um, uh, tablets have been found in actually in, in Boeotia and Thebes that names it. It's in. It's mentioned in Homer. It's it, it's hollow Lacedaemon. Um, Sparta seems to mean um, uh, land that's sown. So sparrow is is I sow. So it seems to. So basically, Lacedaemon is the old name. Sparta comes to mean this fertile valley where where people are, are plowing and sowing. Um, and I think that that's the key to um, Sparta's initial status is that it has this fertile valley, and it is very well defended. And the thing that makes Sparta aberrant is that they conquer their neighbours. Right. And they reduce them to a level of, of servitude that other Greeks regarded as shocking. And this servitude is called helotage. Yeah. They, they're called helots. We'll come to the helots in a sec. But why does the military culture develop? That's a question. We've had tons of people asking that. Ben Gladwin, for example, says, why does Sparta develop this unique military culture when there are so many different Greek city-states? Why are they the outlier? Well... Uh, as ever with Greek history, there's there's a myth and then there's a probable reality. So the myth is that um, in the wake of the conquest of Messenia, as I said, Sparta falls to pieces. It becomes a, a model of bad order. And um, an eminent Spartan by the name of Lycurgus, which means wolf worker, mm. goes to Delphi and consults with the oracle. And Apollo sees him. And says, oh, I don't know who you are. I'm not sure who you, I, you know, Lycurgus, are you a god or a man? I'm not sure, but I think you're probably a god. So that's kind of, you know, this strange, ambivalent, heroic status that Lycurgus has. And the oracle gives Lycurgus a constitution, which basically provides, um, it, it transforms the citizens of Sparta into a, a military elite. Yeah. And they can do this because they've conquered Messina. And so they can use the uh, the Messenians as basically to, to grow the food. The slaves, so basically. Tateus, the slaves. poet, says that, that, that they're like donkeys laden down with, with heavy burdens. The Spartans also have people called perioikoi, which are people who live around Sparta, who can do the, the things like um, make the pots or right. make the armour or whatever. The Spartan warriors themselves, that's all they do. Okay. So, so any any other any other Greek city, the people who fight, they do it on a strictly amateur basis. They're carpenters, they're um, whatever. But in Sparta, that's not the case. They are purely soldiers. So a young Tom Holland is born in the year 450 or whatever. How does his life work in Sparta? So t talk me through it. Well, young Tom Holland is born and he's a bit, he looks a bit wussy. So he'd probably... He'd be taken to uh, the, these magi magistrates called ephors who are elected every, um, every year. The ephors would, would inspect me. They would say, is he going to go up to be, to be a mighty oh muscle-bound warrior? I feel, They'd probably say I feel no. so sorry for you. So, I know. <laughs> and so I'd be taken to a place called the Apothetai, which is the dumping ground, which is a ravine at the, uh, the, the, the foot of Mount Tagatus. And I'd be exposed there along with all the other baby boys well, the misfits. Who don't pass muster yeah but but let's say let's say uh, it's young dominic sambrook well very different story a fine strapping young lad <laughs> yeah 
clearly made to, to, to grow up and defend his city. Then um, at the age of seven, you'd go to the equivalent of a boarding school. Right. You'd go to a kind of a, a, a barracks um, and you'd undergo what's called the agoge, yeah. um, which is uh, um, it's a kind of train, training procedure. And you'd be under um, uh, people. I mean, basically that your instructor would would in Greek means a kind of a, a child a herd. So you're being raised like animals. And it's that thing with Lycurgus, the, you know, the, the, the maker of wolves. You're, being, you're, you're simultaneously being trained to be ferocious like a wolf, but also to be broken to control and discipline. So this is not Greyfriars in the Billy Bunter This era. is not. No, no, it's not. And so you are, you are schooled in, um, in, in the use of arms. You're schooled in drill. You're schooled in um, wrestling. You're schooled to forage. So there'll be times where you, you were not fed enough. So is this the cheese? Go out. Is this the? No, that's it. That's it. That's different because that's a game. This is, you know, you have to go out into the onto the mountainside and kind of kill animals, or you have to steal things from other people, or whatever. So there's a famous story of the um, a boy who is found, um, and he's got a fox which he's going to eat, and he hides it under his tunic, and an elder stops him and asks him what he's doing, and he says absolutely nothing. Meanwhile, the fox is gnawing away at his stomach. And the boy suddenly drops down dead, and he hasn't mentioned it. Oh my God! Do that, you know. I mean, this this story is clearly not true because who would eat a fox? But it, it suggests that boys, you know, young boys are taking on um, uh, vulpine characteristics. They're trained to become yeah. foxes. But and also and that kind course, of stoicism is is absolutely key to the Spartan sense of themselves. Yes, right? so it's so. So the reed Sparta uh, and the area around it is called Laconia. Yeah. And we still have the word laconic. You're beaten if you talk too much. You're encouraged to say things as, as concisely as you possibly can. Um, Just like you so, on this podcast, right? I mean, Exactly like me, yes. <laughs> and the thing, that's, the, the, the thing that's also very distinctive about Sparta is it's not just boys who get an education. Girls do as well. Yes. So, we had tons so, of questions so girls, about girls and women. So, so girls also, um, you know, they they seem to be have been taught to read, to write. Um, they're taught to be kind of forthright, um, to, to, to express their opinions. They, um, they 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 have this kind of distinctive dance where they slap their buttocks with the bottom of their feet. With the bottom um, of their feet. Yeah. So you kind of you know you so sort of leap up. Yeah. You leap up. You kick your legs up and you hit your buttocks with the with the bottom of your feet. Okay. So no one was doing that so when that I was bit... in Sparta. Disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> Something they could they could revive. Yeah. Um, they um, they they're known as um, they, they wear these kind of very skimpy slits uh, tunics that causes a lot of kind of prurient disapproval from from other Greeks. Sometimes they wrestle naked. Um, and one of the things that girls do is, <laughs> I mean, it's so it's kind of every schoolboy's worst nightmare. Go on. Is it, <laughs> that you at certain points you 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 have to strip naked and stand before the girls. Oh, and God. the girl, you know, if if you don't measure up, the girls are encouraged to laugh and mock you. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> that's, so that's fun. Yeah. Um, Character and, building, uh, and then that, right? By, I mean, it's, it's good for the soul. <laughs> good for the soul. So at, at a certain point, you, you will play the cheese game that we talked about. And then the, the odd thing is so that, that the ideal is simultaneously to um, to kind of encourage this egalitarianism. But it doesn't mean that everyone's equal. Yeah. So there's this ferocious sense of, of competition. You have to make yourself the best. And if you win the cheese game or if you pass kind of various tests, then the, 
your huge opportunity is that you, you can join the Cryptea, this kind of elite. Yes. Which is basically Duke of Edinburgh Award, the, the gold, whatever it is. What's, is it gold award? Gold, yeah, gold, awards, yeah, gold yeah. award. And you go up into the mountains, you go down the other side, you go into Messenia, and you have to kill a helot. So a helot is a slave. They're, these are the people who are tilling the land. These are the Messenians. Uh, and if you do that, then you come back and you get your gold award. And you have the chance to enter what's called the Hippeus, which is basically um, the cavalry, the knights. But this being Sparta, they're not. They're all on foot. But these are the 300 who go with Leonidas de Thermopylae, the famous 300, as in the film. And talk to me about the killing the slave. You can kill any slave? You can just leap on them and stab them in the neck or whatever? So, he- so, so helots are... Again, very dis- a very distinctive kind of phenomenon in Sparta. So, you know, people kind of discuss what were helots. Basically, helots were helots. They were they, they were distinctive. There was a ta- there was a, a village in in Laconia called Helos, and so there are all kinds of stories that these were the first helots. Other stories were that um, the first helots were Spartans who'd been cowards and had been right. reduced to this servitude to, to humiliate them. But basically. Um, Helots are there to work the land and to provide the messes that enable the Spartan warriors to function as warriors. And so it's it's a kind of chicken and egg situation. What comes first? Is it the militarism of Sparta that enables them to keep the helots down? Or do they have to keep the helots down because otherwise the helots will rise up and kill them? We had a question about this. We had lots of questions. Benji, why didn't the helots revolt? And were the Spartans af- afraid of it? And, and Paul Hogarth says... How how paranoid were the Spartans of a helot uprising, and does that explain their militarism? So, was there ever a helot uprising? Well, the Spartans are very paranoid about it. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of the um, you know for, for a free citizen to be whipped or to be beaten as Spartans were, you know, it's it's, it's kind of humiliating. And so, there's this paradox that that nowhere in Greece are, are, are people more free than in Sparta. Nowhere are they more. Um, like slaves and I think kind of hanging over it is a reminder of what will happen to them if the helots gain power and and conquer them Um, the Spartans every year the ephors declare war against the Messenians which they see as licensing the murder of of, of helots Um, so Herodotus has this kind of very chilling phrase where he says uh, that, that the Spartans alone do not regard murder as a crime. Yeah. Um, and they are, they practice a kind of very self-conscious eugenics. So just as they, um, you know, they, they breed themselves. They're, f- they're famous as f- for breeding horses, for breeding dogs and for breeding themselves. Uh, so this is why they, they chuck out people who, you know, babies that don't measure up. Yeah. So conversely, the, um, the members of the Cryptea, when they're passing their Duke of Edinburgh, they're given people to ki- they're given helots to kill, and these helots are the ones who've shown initiative, who um, so if who, who are smarter or cleverer so or whatever. So they're trying to breed a, a, a doltish, servile population. So they've actually and singled out the brightest, most most talented helots, Messenians, yeah, and they basically say to their own children, teenagers, I guess, go and kill, go and them. kill them, yeah, yeah. And that's then the mark of, you know, that you've you've kind of passed the grade. Yeah. And what they also do is um, for entertainment, sometimes when they're in their messes, they will they will bring a helot in 
and the helots are made to wear these kind of revolting dog skins you know it's designed to make them look ridiculous and ugly and and scabby and they will get the helots drunk on unmixed wine so the greeks mix wine yeah with water um, they, they give yeah. it they give it neat and the helot gets absolutely off his face uh, he kind of collapses in a drunken stupor the spartans then kind of ran the evening off by pelting him with animal bones and the whole thing is designed both to um you know addict helots to drink yeah so that they're they're, they're enfeebled but also to serve as a moral lesson to the spartans to, to practice moderation in everything um and you can see the yeah. influence of this on on say the the way that the nazis envisage their rule in eastern europe i mean it's, yeah. it's absolutely modeled on this but nazi generals actually talk of the spartans and the helots i mean there are yeah there's sort of textual yeah. evidence for this so their plan is to is to basically to kind of reduce poland to helotage yeah exactly now when and you asked about revolts you yeah. asked about revolts so um yeah so so in 465 there's a particularly devastating earthquake and off the back of that there's a massive helot revolt and the spartans repress it very brutally and actually i mean they're <laughs> Their, their treatment of the helots after that seems to become even more brutal. So again, they they um, they offer prizes to um, helots who will help them, um, and so about two thousand helots step forward, um, and they show great initiative in in helping the Spartans. The Spartans then kind of <laughs> disappear them, God, because That's, because yeah. the, these are people who are obvious leaders. That's so, incredible, and nobody even knows how, what what their fate is. I mean, they 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 literally vanish. And is it completely demented, Tom, to make a comparison with other slave systems? So, for example, the American South, let's say, um, and the sort of fear of miscegenation and the fear of the slaves and the sort of the racism is is, is well, there no, any element no, of that? At no, all? no, because because what's shocking for to the Greeks is that the, the, the helots are Greek, yeah. so. And actually, more than that, they, they're Dorian. So this is also an important part of how the Spartans see themselves, is that they see themselves as these invaders called Dorians, who have, have swept southwards and conquered the Peloponnese with these kind of great Achaean cities, Mycenae and Argos, and of course Sparta. And the Mycenaeans are, are Dorians, like the Spartans. So in that sense, they're kin. And so actually, the humiliations that that are imposed on them, the determination to breed them into a kind of slave people isn't because they are seen as as alien isn't because of of racism it's absolutely the opposite it's because there is this incredible sense of kinship but tom in that case here's my here's an obvious question what makes a spartan a spartan so how do you become a spartan if they're if they're the same if they're kind of vaguely related to the other dorian peoples to the messenians why how are the spartans spartans is it just particular families is it literally the fact of residency in in sparta what, what is it that makes you spartan you, you have to you have to be the son of freeborn spartan parents yeah and you have to have a certain kind of land qualification okay and this is this is seen as the kind of the radical innovation of the lycurgan revolution right um and it's why sparta has appealed to the left as well as to the right is that um these incredible social differences which had seen the rich oppressing the poor kind of get dissolved and everybody has to live the same life they all have to belong to a barracks they all have to eat the same food they all have to dress in the same way they all have to fight in the same battle line and um in the the reality is that, of course that there are still people who are considerably richer than other people mm -hmm. but there has to be a certain property qualification now 
the the effect of this over time is that um you know spartan warriors die um there is a, a kind of uh, you know as is always the way um the rich do tend to kind of increasingly monopolize land and so there's a steady kind of collapse in the number of people who are qualified to serve as Spartans. And that's one of the reasons that, that, that ultimately leads to um, the collapse of Spartan power. Right. OK. Um, Fair enough. But so this this, this um, again goes right the way back to the beginnings is that um, most of the Spartans are Dorian, as I said, but there are families that aren't. And two of these families are um, provide the two kings that rule at any one time. Oh, yes. So yeah, Sparta yeah. is very, Sparta's kind of a weird mix. So you've got the uh, the ephors, the elected magistrates. You've got the assembly, uh, which is kind of public assembly. You've got um, the equivalent of a senate. Garousia is, is literally the Greek for senate. It's assembly of old men, um, which again has kind of consultative power. Um, and then you have two kings. And both of these kings are descended ultimately, they say, from Heracles. The, the the great kind of paradigmatic Greek hero who's an Achaean. So weirdly, the kings in Sparta are not Dorian. Okay. They're Achaean. That is strange. It's kind of linked it with the strange. vanished past, I suppose. Yes, and um it basically it, 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 it means that, you know, we were talking about the Olympics. Yeah. Um and how Olympian here you know, winners in the Olympics provide the Greeks with a reminder of the heroic age the age of heroes and how heroes don't necessarily have the meaning that, that they have for us. Heroes are often very sinister figures, dangerous figures who are kind of midway between humans and the gods and the Spartans kings have that role. And okay. so there's all kinds of myths about why there are two kings. The most popular myth is that um, there is uh, uh, that there's a Spartan king. He has um, twins the Spartans don't, he dies. The Spartans don't know who should succeed. So they go to Delphi. Delphi says they should both rule, but um, the one who's eldest should, uh, should, should be senior, which is kind of classically unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. Kind, kind of Delphic solution. You know, gives the solution with one hand and takes it away with the other. So the Spartans say, fine, okay, so we'll have these two kings, um, but how are we going to find out um, who, who the elder one is? And so a Messenian, interestingly, Helot, suggests well watch the queen and see which one of them she bathes first on the assumption that the elder son is going to be the favorite and so they watch the queen and they they she's not actually a queen sparta doesn't have queens but the wife of yeah. the king um and they see which one it is uh and um that then becomes the, the founder of the senior branch of of kings and the other one is the junior branch and that goes right the way through to um i think the uh, the third century these, this diarchy it's called that's a very strange system okay one last quick, quick very quick question before we go to the break optopian asks a question that i don't really understand he says thoughts and if possible a tasting on the role played by the spartans black soup i don't know what this is what is the black soup tom so the black soup is um this notoriously revolting dish so a, a Spartan would bring the raw ingredients, the helicooks cooks would, would brew it up. And it was basically a kind of blood broth. Um, and the Spartans would wolf it down. Any visitors would, would say it was disgusting. Okay. And the joke was, you know, an Athenian tasted it and said, now I understand why the Spartans have no fear of death. <laughs> Very good. All right, I'm off to have a bowl of soup. Uh, after the break, we shall go through some highlights of Spartan history and some of the characters. And then we'll talk about Sparta's reputation and... And no doubt we'll be talking about 300. See you in a minute.
I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? (laughs) Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Rest is History. We are talking about Sparta. We're going to be coming to 300, of course, later in the in the show. But first of all, I want to talk about, we had so many questions, Tom. Let's just go through the questions. And um, a couple of them are about individuals. And one of the first individuals is Cleomenes. So Jonathan Metzer says, can you tell us about King Cleomenes? Expansionist, tried to suppress Athenian democratic revolution, exiled, recalled, insane, imprisoned, and then found dead from wounds in custody. What's the story with him? So I don't know anything about this. Do you want to tell me about Cleomenes? He's, so Cleomenes is really the first great character that we know about because Herodotus writes about him. And Herodotus, the first historian, is basically our main source, well, often our only source for, for early Sparta. And uh, it's clear that Herodotus has spoken to lots of different people about Cleomenes because he gives quite different perspectives on him. Um, Cleomenes is a king who rules for a very long time. And that means that he's able to build up quite a power base. And... He's a very, um, he's an unusually imaginative and expansionist king. Um, Spartans, you know, the, the tradition is, is that they are very hidebound. Cleomenes seems not to have been. Um, he plays kind of key roles in various developments in the decades before the Persian invasions. So he, the, the Delphic Oracle starts telling Spartans, go and um, chuck the tyrants out of Athens. So Cleomenes does that. Um, but he then gets terribly upset when the Athenians decide they're going to set up a democracy yeah. and he tries to stop them. That all goes wrong. So that's a, that's a kind of blot on his copybook. Um, the, the, he, um, 
he's encouraged, he, he gets asked by the Ionians, who are Greeks who live on the other side of the Aegean, to join in the, the revolt against the Persians, which ultimately the, the Athenians do join, which then results in the Battle of Marathon. So it's a disaster. Cleomenes works out that it's going to be a disaster. And he does that because he has a very sassy, very intelligent, very smart daughter called Gorgo, who is actually the heroine of uh, the children's book. No, of the children's oh, right. book okay. that I have just today finished oh, before starting this. What a so nice, just to, it's a nice yeah, moment just to, and also a nice sort of anticipatory plug. Uh, that's very, yes, very kind. So, so I'm very, so Gorgo is my narrator. Well, congratulations. But according to, but according to Herodotus, um, this, this Ionian guy comes to try and persuade Cleomenes and Cleomenes is almost swayed because the, the Ionian is saying, oh, if you conquer the Persians, you'll get so much money. And Gorgo says, uh, you know, uh, don't do it. This is a terrible, you know, you're, 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 you're being, um, you're being bribed here. Um, back off and right. so Cleomenes does so that's but the um he Cleomenes is also the guy who chucks out the Persian ambassadors down the well so people who've watched 300 will think that, you know in that Leonidas does that but actually it's Cleomenes who does that right um and the other thing that that Cleomenes does is the only rival that Sparta has in the Peloponnese is Argos which likewise has this incredible pedigree that's where Heracles lived and so on um Cleomenes absolutely smashes Argos and he does it in, in a, um, basically he, he pulverizes them. Loads of Argives hide in a grove. Um, Cleomenes says that he'll, he'll spare them if they come out of the grove. Some come out of the grove, Cleomenes kills them. He then burns down the grove and this is a sacred grove. And in due course, Cleomenes goes mad. Yeah. Um, he, he takes to the hills um, he starts raiding Sparta. He opens up negotiations with the ephors to, to return, comes back and he goes completely off his completely insane, gets locked up in the stocks, gets guarded by Helot. The Helot walks into the shed where he's been uh, locked up in in, uh, in the morning and finds that um, so insane is Cleomenes that he has taken a sharp knife. He's hacked the flesh off his toes, off his feet, off his off his um, calves, off his thighs hacked open his groin, started to peel off all the flesh from his uh, stomach and killed himself. Gosh. And so Herodotus describes this and he says, you know, there were many, dis many disagreements about what could have caused this. Was it because Cleomenes had burnt down the sacred grove? Was it because he'd offended Demeter um, outside Athens? Was it because he'd done this? Was it because he'd done that? What, what Herodotus <laughs> never asks is, might he have been murdered? Yeah, which is surely you know, which the, is obvious. the obvious. Yeah. And if he was murdered, then... You know, on the principle of qui bono, who benefits? The person who succeeds him is his half-brother, yeah. Leonidas. So that, okay. So Leonidas yeah. may well have the guilt of fratricide on his conscience. But that's not what he's famous for. He's famous for Thermopylae. He is Gerard Butler, isn't he? Leonidas. He is Gerard Butler, yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, I saw in modern Sparta, they have this fantastic you know, 1960s, but, you know, very admirable statue of him. And he's the one Spartan that most people have heard of. We are going to do a podcast later on. I mean, I, I, mean, I know that we say this about so many subjects, but we genuinely are going to do a podcast about Thermopylae. Um, so we won't go yeah, massively because, because into... this is the 2,500th anniversary of it. Yeah, so we have year. to. So we absolutely have so, to. So the anniversary of, of Thermopylae is coming up at the end of August and then of Salamis, the great naval victory outside Athens. So we're going to uh, have to do... September. So we're going to do it then. But... Um, uh, just as a sort of taster, Michael Bird's question, 
Was Thermopylae really 300 Spartans fighting a million Persians, armed with nothing more than capes, underpants, spears and Scottish accents? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there were nor, more than nor, 300. Nor did the, per- nor were the Persians awoke. No, or, there were more than 300. Nor, nor did the they? army bring... Tom, what? there were more than 300 of them. Yeah, so, so what happens is, I mean, we actually talked about this with the Olympics, is that um, the Olympic Games are going on, and so the Peloponnesians can't go because it will offend the gods. But equally, Thermopylae is the ideal place to stage a holding operation yeah so the 300 go this is the hippias this is the the bodyguard of the king the crack squad they know they're going to die because um only people with who've had sons go so they they, they know that they're in kind of high risk of, of yeah of, of dying um they take um a, about you know several thousand other peloponnesians they meet up with various people locals around the pass and that they hold it um the the, the the outsized role that Leonidas plays in this story is, of course, that um, when the, the Persians end up going round the pass and come down in the Spartans' rear, he sends most of the other troops away. There are some that, that insist on standing with him. They they are the ones who don't tend to be remembered. The thespians. Uh, the thespians? It's, it's, yes, and some Thebans as well. Um, it's it's the stand of the 300 yeah. that, is, um, that, that, that is commemorated and really is... I think what thrills people about Sparta. Yes, fetishized, it, isn't it? This time, the well, it, it's you know, there's there's so much that's that's terrifying and frightening about Sparta, and I think that the terror and the fear of them is also what makes them fascinating. I mean, yeah, I when I was a child, I, I I was you know hugely into into dinosaurs and the the spectacle of you know theropods, allosaurs, velociraptors, whatever, tyrannosaurs was you know it, I found it thrilling. And I found contemplating Sparta gave me something Tom, very, all, you know, very similar. All children but, are like that. I mean, my son, when yes. we went on holiday, you know, he bought, we, he he demanded Spartan T-shirts. He he's brought home a little statue of Leonidas. He he loves all that. I mean, the Athenians. I, I, when I say to him, Athens, philosophy, poetry. I mean, he could give a damn <laughs> about those things. The thought of sort of training and fighting as a warrior—that's what gets small boys right, interested. Right. Right, so, so so that makes them frightening and terrifying and kind of glamorous. Yeah. Um, but what Leonidas, Leonidas is cast as as a man who dies for the freedom of his city and for Greece. And that, therefore, has given him an outsized role through Greek history. So um, he, you know, the, the, uh, his festival is celebrated throughout Roman times. Right. I mean, even, even so Origen, the great church father, the Alexandrian... Um, Christian uh, teacher, he compares uh, Christ to Leonidas. That's fascinating. So he's not. So he's not a Hollywood invention. He's not not a modern invention. He was If he is an invention at all, he's a much older one. You know. And then, and then, when this story gets rediscovered in the Renaissance, you you have Montaigne who says that um, the 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 defeat at Thermopylae is much nobler than all you know the victories at Marathon or Salamis or Plataea. Um, you famous. You have Byron. Um, Earth render back from out thy breast a remnant of our Spartan dead. Of the three hundred, grant but three to make a new Thermopylae, and that clearly inspires him to go and fight for Greece yeah. and to die for for Greek freedom. And and you've got this kind of famous essay by William Golding who goes to the hot gates and 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 says that a little part of little part of the freedom that I enjoy is due to Leonidas. And that, of course, is the counterpoint to the sense of the Spartans as basically yeah. Nazis. Because, of course, the, the irony is, is that if the Spartans had, 
had, if Sparta had been conquered by the Persians, the Persians would have done what the Thebans subsequently did, which is to liberate the Messenians. And the Messenians would have been would have, would have led a much more be much happier, free maybe, life yeah. under Persia than they would have done under okay. Sparta. Okay, well, let's come on to the racism and fascism questions a bit later. The obvious sort of elephant in the room we haven't talked about is Athens. So Sparta kind of works in the modern imagination as a counterpoint to Athens, doesn't it? It's a bit like Lenin and yeah. McCartney or something. Or You know, you can't imagine one without the other. Well, it's, it's America and Russia. It's America yeah. and Soviet Union, the Cold War. It's Rocky IV. It's uh, Drago yeah. and uh, Sylvester Stallone. So, That's exactly. Except Sylvester Stallone isn't... I mean, he's not a great philosopher, is he? <laughs> no, he's not. We're great poets. Well, I um, um, right, so Matthew Hisbent says, Sparta, Athens, Scotland, England... Always happy when squabbling with each other, always ready to knock spots off each other until a common enemy, Persia, seems to unite them temporarily to defend hearth and home. But that seems to me, I'm not knocking Matthew Hisbent, but it's the other way around, isn't it? That the, the the common defense comes before the Peloponnesian War, which is when they yeah. when they t- so the Peloponnesian War, um, Sparta wins that. I mean, basically, that ends Athens's period of glory. Yeah. Um, why? Why did the other Greek cities not side with Athens when Sparta is so... Is it because they're frightened of Sparta? Or is it because they are much more resentful and suspicious of Athens than sort of modern, you know, Athenophiles would would imagine? Well, uh, basically Athens overreaches itself. So it launches this completely uh, abortive invasion of Sicily. Yeah. Um, that's Al- Al- Alcibiades who does that is it is that right well so, so Alcibiades is who we, again we talked about in the Olympics he won he wins th- you know he wins the top three places in the chariot race um, he gets accused of um, impiety in Athens uh, and basically he's the guy behind the Sicilian invasion but he has he ends up fleeing and he ends up in Sparta and he advises the Spartans on what to do, the least, the things that the Athenians would least like, and basically the Athenian war effort kind of crumbles away after that. Yeah. Um, and amazingly, Sparta is able to cast itself as as the defender of freedom, even though um, it, it, it obviously isn't. And when the, uh, the the walls of Athens are pulled down to pipes, um, people say this is the day for the beginning of freedom of Greece, but it isn't because Sparta is a kind of brutal militarist power that um insists on having its own way that um kind of you know it 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 instinctively wants to subordinate almost everybody that it comes up against um it it can't reduce them to heritage but it certainly wants to, to to subordinate them and so in the aftermath of the peloponnesian war its power just melts away and amazingly within you know just a few decades the athenians are back there you know they've got their fleet up back up in working order and you've got thebes that you know the third of these great cities yeah. which up till then had always been so the the, the the majority of thebans sided with the persians and that's something that the spartans and the athenians never let them forget but you you have this um this general of absolute genius called epaminondas who radically recalibrates um military strategy and is able to defeat the spartan war machine which up until that point had been invincible and they, there is this great battle um at at Leuctra in 371 where the myth of spartan invincibility is, is completely shattered and the, the the spartans try and um and kind of reconstitute the um uh, their army but again they're kind of shattered at, at, at a place called mantinea actually in the peloponnese um in 362 
and and that essentially is it because you know as i said the uh, the, the the thebans liberate the messenians and from that point on sparta is is a busted flush but tom to, to backtrack a little bit when they were top top nation top or top greek city-state um at the end of the peloponnesian war why didn't they become rome why didn't they do what the romans did which is basically crush all their neighbors absorb them or whatever and become a and the momentum of military conquest just carry them from victory to victory why didn't sparta manage to do that because the whole basis of the lycurgan constitution is that you have a spartan elite sitting atop a volcano i mean that's basically it Right. And the Spartans are incredibly conservative and they're incredibly proud of this constitution. And so they refuse to change it. And the strange thing is, is that, you know, all the way th- all the way through the centuries that lead up to the, the, the absorption of Sparta into the Roman Empire, they. They assume that the answer to their problems is to go back to this Lycurgan constitution. So you have repeated attempts to try and reanimate it. Yeah. And. And people want to believe in it. So Cicero says of the, of the Spartans that they're the only people in the world who have lived, you know, with customs and um, laws that have been unchanged for 700 years. I mean, this isn't true, but the Spartans are able to kind of convince yeah. the Romans that this is the case. And people want to believe it. Yeah. And actually, the idea that, that Sparta is unchanging is a crucial part of, you know, of this idea of it as a mirage. It's a crucial part of both what the Spartans want to believe and therefore what outsiders want to believe. Okay, okay, I buy all that. So talking of uh, a nice segue here about what outsiders think of the Spartans, there are a ton of questions about racism and fascism. So here's a good example. Um, Josh Glancy, who writes for the Sunday Times, has asked us, a: is it in any way accurate or historically relevant to describe the Spartans as fascist or as proto-fascist? We've had lots of questions. Paradoxymoron says, should they be cancelled because of their cruelty to the helots? Sirs further, was Sparta the most racist state in history? So, you know, first of all, fascism. Are they, does it make any sense to talk well, them as fascists? So, so, so on the racism, you know, as I, 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 don't, I think that's an anachronistic yeah. way of seeing it. And... You know, as I said, the whole thing is, is that actually the helots, you know, are, you know, it's the same people. Yeah. That's, that's the, that, that's the point. Um, are they fascist? Well, again, that's kind of putting it the wrong way, wrong way around. Is, is there something of Sparta in fascism would be the better way of yes. putting it. Yeah. And I would say indisputably. Yeah. Um, the Nazis definitely were fascinated Sparta, by Sparta. Absolutely. Um, you know, Hitler, Hitler says that the black broth, the, you know, the, the, the famous Spartan dish originally came from Schleswig-Holstein, your your favourite German state. <laughs> <laughs> Where did yeah. it come from, Dominic? Schleswig-Holstein, Tom. Yeah. See, I can yeah. say it perfectly now when I'm when I'm yeah. not thinking about it. But but there's also an element, isn't there, that that it's not just the Nazis who are fascinated by Sparta. So we had a couple of questions about Victorian Britain, for example, Spartan virtues, Doctor Arnold, and rugby school, and the the public school tradition. I mean, a lot of that owes yeah. something to so, a, so, so, a romance of Sparta, doesn't it? So I think it's fair to say that by contemporary standards, the, the Spartans were quite right wing. Right. But as I said, they, they you know, they have a, a, a big constituency on the left as well. And the idea that of, of universal education yeah. is one that Thomas More in Utopia picks up on. Yeah. Rousseau um, was a big... That, Rousseau picks loved up on the Spartans. It, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the specific model of the boarding school of taking boys away when they're seven and toughening them up um, 
you know, putting them into the equivalent of houses, uh, making them play ferocious degrees of sport. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, you know, uh, an overt influence on the way that public schools in 19th century Britain develop. Um, so the, the, you know, the influences are, are manifold. Yeah. And when people use the word Spartan, it's not always a pejorative, is it? Uh, you know, no, it's kind of austere. It's austere, but that's self-disciplined. Yeah, it's pure. Um, it's clean. It's all those, and, and of it's, course, that's not that, luxurious. That that it's not decadent. No, and that, it's the opposite of decadent. And that plays into both Victorianism and and, and fascism. Um, I would say now three hundred. We said we'd come to three hundred, and here we are. So three hundred. Frank Miller, the comic book writer, has seen a film from the nineteen fifties, I think, or early sixties. I can't remember which. About three hundred Spartans. Yeah about Thermopylae and it sticks in his mind and he goes on to do this comic book which some people have seen as fascist actually and they see yeah. the film as, as quite fascistic so talk to me about the film because I know you've written about it do you, you well, think I, the film I, I is think... a great you I mean I know you're a big fan of the film as a vision of ancient Greece yeah so so I th the huge problem with most films about antiquity is is that they have to import anachronism because otherwise the audience will be alienated so traditionally, the way that you do that is you bring in a Christian slave. So, you know, gladiator <laughs> yes. films, you always have a Christian slave. Well, you think of Gladiator, uh, it's a kind of liberal senator who yeah. wants to restore the Republic, which is kind of equated with liberal democracy. So the, the Derek Jacobi character in Gladiator. Yes. Which is entirely bogus. You know, th this is, you know, there were no equivalents of, of liberals in the classical world. Um, what, what 300 does is unapologetically to present the world in the way that um, the Spartans did. Um, and so 300, I think, is absolutely the kind of film that the, uh, you know, the, the F4s, if they had uh, been presented it, would have allowed to screen in Sparta. They'd have loved it. I mean, obviously, of course, it's full of, of, of ludicrous inaccuracies. Um, the Spartans did not fight in black speedos. They did not fight naked. Um, but w what it does is to say that um, if you are... You know, if you're if you're handsome, if you're ripped, if you have a, a kind of amazing physique, then you're a good person. If you're physically ugly, if you're deformed, then you're not. You're you're morally deformed as well. So um, in, in 300, Ephialtes, the guy who who betrays the past of Thermopylae and leads the Persians around the rear, he is portrayed as this um, hunchback, this cripple who wants to become a Spartan warrior. And if this was a Tom Hanks film, that's what would happen. He would he would join the band of brothers and he would do something heroic and he'd probably die saving the yeah. platoon or something Be like tear that. Joking. But in this, he's 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 as morally contemptible as he's physically ugly. And it's kind of shocking. And the other way in which, um, you know, the, the, the film opens with the with the, the apothecary, with the, um, the, the 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 ravine where the babies are, are chucked down a cliff. And it, it this is the, the voiceover saying that, you know, to be Spartan, you have to be strong. And it's. It's unapologetically saying infanticide is a great thing because it'll make for better soldiers. Yeah. So I think, you know, on one level you could say that's very fascist, but on the other you could say that's completely true to the myth that the Spartans propagated about themselves. So I, I think it's. I mean, I, th I do think it is an incredible, by our standards, an incredibly fascist film. But I think that is what makes it kind of true. True. Yeah. To how the Greek, how, how the Spartans saw the world, or at least how the Greeks saw the Spartans. And and here's an interesting thing, Tom, because I mean you're a great man. You know you've gone through Am the I? whole podcast. You've gone through the whole podcast without mentioning really Christianity. 
and Christianity's kind of cult of the victim and, you know, the sort of Harry and Meghan side of Christianity, the kind of compassion and stuff. Um, and it's weird, isn't it, how the Sparta has endured, the glamour of Sparta has endured, despite the fact that it, it runs completely counter to the tradition that you think has defined Western culture for the last 2,000 years. Well, it's interesting. Years. I mean, I mentioned origin. Uh, in, the, in the third century, when the um, second century, um, the, the Jews were in revolt um, and, and trying to establish a kind of independent state, the high priest wrote to the king of Sparta and said, you know, we, we are kin. Uh, you, you too are descended from Moses. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is weird. I don't, think, I don't think the Nazis kind of majored on that. No. Um, so... There was a, even, I mean, Jews and Christians were obsessed by Sparta as well. And I think the, the appeal of Sparta is, you know, we were talking before that it's, it's fierce and, and it's glamorous and yeah. they're brave. And there's a know, bit the of a Spartan, there's a bit of a Spartan inside all of us, isn't there? You know, we maybe, might maybe not all of us, but I think there's more of a Spartan inside us. Yeah. than than there's probably not. There's not a Spartan. Like there's not a Spartan inside Jeremy Corbyn. But I think no. there's a Spartan inside most of us have got an inner Spartan somewhere, even if we try to keep them at bay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the the kind of model of extreme heroism. Yeah. And I use, you know, heroism in the, in the Greek sense that, that the Greeks saw in the Spartans is something that is able to kind of inspire maybe grudging admiration but it's about manliness and certainly well, a fascination it's manliness as well isn't it do you not think it is a, it, well of course yes i mean it is it's a very but but you know the other paradox about sparta is that it's probably the best place to be a woman okay so yeah. you know that i mean that's that is it's it's a city that that's absolutely full of paradoxes it's it's a a, a highly masculine city in which the women are, are freer than anywhere else, certainly more than in Athens. It's, it's a city where um, masters sit on top of a, a kind of pile of, of, the, of inferiors and yet themselves live like slaves. Um, it's it's a, a city where um, people live, you know, that they have to live like everybody else. And yet at the same time, it's absolutely based on ruthless competition. So it's this kind of bundle of paradoxes that makes it kind of infinitely fascinating. And I think it's really interesting that when we ask for, for questions for this, I mean, we got hundreds yeah, and hundreds. This and is... that's always a measure of how, in, you know, how much potency a, a, a field in history has, I think. Um, it's a great note on which to end, Tom. Um, the top ancient world classical history pundit Tom Holland has proclaimed Sparta. Land of contrasts. So, <laughs> and if you'd like to read more about it, uh, Persian Fire by me is available. Oh, that was shocking! Shops and my translation of Herodotus for Penguin Classics is also available. He, uh, I mean, I said earlier on you had no shame, and I was absolutely right. But the Spartans, <laughs> Dominic, would... we did a whole episode for you. Yeah, that's ancient history, right? Um, <laughs> so, well done, Tom. Jolly good. Uh, I like the Spartans personally. I, I think the Athenians are a bit of feet and weedy and. You astonish me. Yeah, um, the Spartans would have been um, they'd, they'd have been Daily Mail readers, wouldn't they? They absolutely <laughs> would have been. They're not Guardian people, right? On that note, uh, we shall see you next time. With we've got a lot of nuclear Berlin Wall, yeah, nuclear Berlin Wall. Got a lot of Cold War stuff coming up, and we've got um, stuff about exams. Bizarrely, you might think, but a really fascinating subject. Um, so we've got lots of good stuff, and we will see you next time. And I'll do more of the talking next time. Goodbye. Bye bye. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to The Rest is History. For bonus episodes, early access, ad-free listening, and access to our chat community, please sign up at restishistorypod.com. That's restishistorypod.com. Thank you.